uh, uh, I can't. I can't get it. <laughs> that just made my throat hurt more. Don't do that. Zach. Hey, Sirtis. So Panic Software recently released a hardware product, the Playdate, and you can find it if you go to play.date, because there's so many top-level domains now. Um, and it's a little black-and-white thing with... it. It's very Game Boy-inspired, from what I can tell, um, except it's got USB-C, because it's 2019. <laughs> Um, and a crank. There's a crank on the side. Um, for charging? No. No? For input. It's just another mode. So there's the D-pad and there's the A and B buttons. And then there's the crank. And that's just another way. So it looks like they've got one game here and you can move around normally. But then the crank um, is moving in the dimension of time. Hmm. So I saw this earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. And I, my first thought and this thought uh, like perpetuates i guess it's like basically the only thing i can see when trying to imagine myself using this device is that it would be so uncomfortable i agree i also trust that they would not manufacture this whole thing um the the hardware manufacturer is teenage engineering who make like a lot of nifty things so i would imagine that they know how to make a thing that feels good to hold in your hand hopefully maybe but i think also that this isn't directed at like this isn't for extended periods of time usage over extended periods of time Mm -hmm. or maybe it's supposed to like last a long time but you're not supposed to use it for more than an hour at a time right so it doesn't really matter that it's not super ergonomic it's supposed to just fit into your pocket and you just whip it out while you're standing in line play a little whatever i guess I should scroll down the page so I'm not just staring at this animation. Okay, there we go. I think it's, it's really interesting and it's really cool in that it's a, it's a new hardware product by this company that cares a lot about the things that they do. Because Panic Software traditionally has made a lot of, like, terminal programs and file transfer programs and stuff like that. And just recently they started doing games. And so this is further in on the games thing. But anyway, I wanted to ask, um, because this, this crank is a very different way of thinking about input. Yeah, it's a pretty different way of thinking about input. Definitely. If you are going to make a game, because they do have an SDK you can get, you can program for it in Lua, what do you think you would do with that crank? Hmm. Well, my, uh, let's see, if I'm going to port the water tracker over to the play date. Okay. Uh, I mean, probably scrolling. I don't know. What <laughs> about? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do some deep cut Certus lore. Okay. What about a train game with an unique individual hardware device for for maneuvering the train? There was a long time where I knew like three things about Certus, and they were that he could do Rubik's cubes. Um, I guess that he knew how to make websites, and that he got interested in computers from a Thomas the Tank Engine game. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. Yes, I, I know had what you're like, talking about now. Like a distinct controller, didn't it? Yeah, it was like a thing you put like on top of a old like manila colored keyboard. It was like a piece of plastic and like you if you like there was like a steering wheel, I guess, or something. Okay. Yeah, yes, I'm aware it's a train and they shouldn't have steering wheels. <laughs> but like if you turn the steering wheel and push one button on the keyboard with little plastic pegs. Oh. Yeah, and there was like a whistle that would if you pulled the whistle, it would push another button on the keyboard and it would make a whistle sound or something. I can't remember exactly, but it was, like, cool. That's really cool. I didn't know that, actually. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have, like, a USB input. You just, like, set it on top of a keyboard. Huh. That's very clever. That's one way to put it. It would not work for, like, anything uh, yeah. but a very, very standardized keyboard, which is the main flaw in that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I can, yeah, for, it was like a first person train game. Okay. You'd like ride down the rails, I guess. And so can you think of a way to, to take that? I just thought of that because uh, the way that a lot of people get interested in computers is through computer gaming. Um, mm-hmm. And so most people carry that on. And once they learn how to program, they're like, I'm going to make a game at some point. I am also victim to it, even though I'm terrible at storytelling. Um, in in a lot of senses but i still would like to make a game just like for the technical challenge of it more than the like oh it's it's very nice and fun and arty to make a game it just would be cool to make a game okay you're saying that in a very strange way and i don't know why right um okay let me try and rephrase that i really need to close the the spinning that spinning crank that I was watching, it was fascinating. Um, <laughs> that's that's going to be my game. I just say, <laughs> spin the crank, see what happens, and watch them get addicted for an hour or you, so. You spin the crank, and then on the screen, a digital version of the crank also spins. Ex- yeah, in tandem. <laughs> it's like a fidget toy. Really, really expensive fidget toy. It's $150. Yeah. There are more expensive fidget toys. There are like diamond encrusted spinners and stuff, probably. Sh- sure. I might have only heard about that from SNL, which is not a very reputable source of information. Um, so anyway, because I'm a computer person who does computer things and became interested in computers because of games, now I want to be the one to make a game and get other people interested in computers from the games. Oops. But I'm not like I have I have no idea what I would make a game about if I were to make a game. I just want to make a game. Like in the abstract. Like I kind of want to there's there's a a very strong part of me that we've talked about, I think, a couple times in along with the concept of things that we really want to do but never should do. Um wants to like just make music, even though like I've tried before. I spend a very long time trying to learn how to do the music things, and I'm just not good at it, and I don't know where I would start with, like, composing. Right. So you're saying... That I'm seeing this thing, and I'm seeing that there's a SDK for it, and I'm thinking, wow, this could be the thing, the thing that pushes me over the edge and and really gets me to make a game. So, Zach. Yeah. One thing that... We all know, but need reminding of a lot, including myself, is that you are not just good at things. Correct. 
And if you make a game and it has a crappy story, but like it's programmed well, that's a pretty good start because, you know, you can work on the storytelling aspect of that. That is to say, like, you should try. And if you are not good at it, you can ask for help or work harder or whatever. And don't, there is a point that, like, we all reach where we're like, this is far too frustrating to be worth it. Mm-hmm. But, like, you haven't even started yet. You haven't gotten there. Right. So I think you should try it. Okay. You've convinced me. Um, I have now signed up for the $150 pre-order of this device. <laughs> just so I can program with a crank. You can make a, like, I have no doubt that you can program something for this. Mm-hmm. But you do not need the crank to write the story. Right. So uh, waste no time. Go do it. Right. I was also thinking what I could do is reverse engineer it so you could get a Raspberry Pi with a little rotary encoder Mm. and connect those up and write a virtual machine because they wrote their own freaking operating system for that device (laughs) to run on the Raspberry Pi. Okay. Yeah, you could probably do that. I think that is certainly more cost effective. Yeah. I, I think I would need to at least have access to the SDK, though. Right. So if that's the, not a freely not giving, available thing... It, that's not even out yet? No. Hmm. Because the device itself isn't out. I mean, you can still, like, work with the APIs and stuff, or you should be able to. Yeah. But I think they mostly want their, like, prepackaged games for the first chunk of time. Yeah, that's what it looks like. I like this idea. I like the idea of a little, like, thing in your pocket that you can just whip out and start playing games Mm -hmm. but i definitely already have that in my phone right i was just about to say i think this is kind of a backlash to the app lifestyle Uh, one that i appreciate because the problem with the app lifestyle is that it is all is plagued it's plagued with like well yeah it's all consuming but it (laughs) There's the, like, in-app purchases, the... I guess you, because you were paying $150 for a, quote, I'm making finger quotes, console, mm-hmm. you are willing to buy a game that is... Right. Like, I was... I was playing Stardew in the living room, mm-hmm. and my roommate w- was watching for a while, and they said, oh, this looks really fun, and I was on my phone. Mm-hmm. I should get this. And I'm like, yeah, just uh, it's on the app store. Just go get it. And they look at it and it's like $15 or something. So they're like, oh, what the heck? What the heck? Right. Uh, a phone app for $15? That's that's no good. Mm-hmm. But like, it's also a Switch game. And it, as a Switch game, it's 30 bucks or something, right? I don't know. It, but like, they were appalled by the notion of a $15 app. Yeah. When like, the development that went into this game is probably worth around the $30 mark. Mm -hmm. So by targeting this SDK, you're also targeting people who want to spend money on games. Yes. Whereas just by targeting Android is kind of a crapshoot as to who you're going to reach. Yeah, and uh, I I think... I I don't think that Stardew gets a lot of... my, My assumption would be that Stardew does not get a lot of people who are not looking for Stardew on their phone. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. You're not going to stumble... 
typically if you stumble upon Stardew in the App Store, you are not going to get it. You have to know what Stardew is. You have to know that it's really good. Or have heard so much about it that... Yeah, but you're not going to get someone stumbling across it as like a, 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 you know, top paid game or whatever Mm -hmm. in the App Store because it's expensive for an app comparatively. Yeah. I don't know. I I will probably not get this. I don't need more things to sink time into. (laughs) But it it is cool. And I I like the idea of a little handheld pocket console. Uh Uh-huh. I've been thinking a lot about input systems, actually, and so this just kind of plays into it with having the the crank, because there were also, uh, I just went to an arcade the other day, and there were, you know, the rollerball things and whatever, and there Mm -hmm. were just some that were up, down, left, right, A, B um, type controls, but then there was also the Tron controller, which was a joystick, and then the most satisfying dial I have ever encountered. <laughs> Just the weight of it was perfect. Um, and, and so that, I, I don't know, I just, it's almost like a return to that older way of thinking about inputs as a lot more variable. Um, which is kind of teenage engineering's thing, from what I can tell. Right. I, I think I said this while we were in person, Zach, I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, I had the opportunity to use, uh, use a GameCube controller and f- since for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's still, it's as good as I remember it. And like I, it was sitting right next to a game for an Xbox controller. Yeah. And like a set of Joy-Cons for a Nintendo Switch. It, and it was... Uh, for me, at least, it was the best one out of the three because of the way the buttons felt and the way everything was arranged. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main things I noticed, like, let's just talk about button sizes for a while. Okay. The On the GameCube, you have a small B, a big A, and, like, weirdly shaped X and Y, but your thumb rests on the A button because it's the biggest one. Right. If you want to push a different button, you go in a direction right Mm -hmm. you go up for x right for y and left for b but your main action in any situation in any game is a right 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 because that's the button that is under your thumb pretty much always i was holding a nintendo 64 controller the other day personally that's the one with the three handles yeah yeah i think the three handles is actually a very good way to do it i also can understand why it seems very absurd (laughs) <laughs> um but anyway the the thing i was driving towards was more just that the a was in a weird place and so when i wanted to s- just smack my hand down it didn't naturally fall to the a it fell to like the x or something right and if you look at like a xbox controller the four buttons that are essentially a b x y uh-huh actually i think they actually are a b x y but whatever whatever the letters yeah. are it doesn't matter like there's no main button right they're just four equally sized buttons which looks much nicer but Mm -hmm. is not better for actually using things i think and the triggers there's no contact point and it's actually a pretty cool engineering thing because they it's the same amount of pressure to push it down the entire way it doesn't feel like a spring if that makes sense like the the first initial push is as difficult as the last centimeter Okay, that's really cool. 
that's really cool, but where's the point at which the trigger fires? Right. Is it all the way back? Because that's not what you want. Is it the first moment? Because that's not what you want. And there's no indication mm-hmm. between anywhere in between. Unlike the GameCube controller, which has a huge, like, dead space, I guess, for the triggers. Yeah. Where the button goes, but there's no actual contact. And then you hit the actual, like, internal button. Mm-hmm. And you feel that resistance. You can fe- yeah, it's different, right? Yeah. But you don't need... What that allows you to do is hold it. For a while, you can push the button most of the way in mm-hmm. when you know you're about to use it, and then push it that little extra when you need it. Right. Or you can do nothing and not accidentally hit the button. Yeah. The C stick is different from the main. Uh, mm-hmm. What's that called? It sounds like you just do not like the Joy-Con for all the reasons that you do like the Game Boy controller. GameCube, yeah. GameCube. That's exactly correct. And I don't, like the posture of your hands is better, like the, 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 especially with the Joy-Cons, but also with the GameCube, like it's made for you to play with the GameCube for six hours at a time. Right. It's very relaxed. It's very, it's very nice feeling. And if I was like using it to type or something, it'd be great. But that's not how I play games. That's not how anyone plays games. You play very actively. Mm Mm-hmm. And you want your fingers to be in the in active positions, not in these very relaxed positions. Whether, I mean, it hurts your wrists more if you play for six hours, but maybe we shouldn't be playing video games for six hours straight. That's just my opinion. Email Zach. Wait, what? so which one hurts more if you play for six hours? GameCube. Not the Joy-Cons? I was talking about Xbox. Ah, Joy-Cons okay. are okay. a whole different boat and I have so many issues with. They're very cool, but Jesus Christ, what are you doing? This is the, like, holding a Joy-Con controller, if they're not in the slots for the... Mm-hmm. So they're, okay, so for anyone out there who doesn't know what we're talking about, <laughs> the Nintendo Switch, the newest Nintendo console, has a couple ways to use the device right you can use it in handheld mode which basically attaches controllers to the edges of the screen and i'm going to put some stuff in the show notes for this cool which is awful for lots of reasons ergonomically speaking yeah it's just not where you your body wants to be and it's a lot of weight to be dealing with yeah it's it's a pain, but it's a usable thing, which is kind of cool. It's a portable, real console. Mm-hmm. Or you can plug it into the, the uh, I don't know what to call that. It's like a dock, I guess. Right. And you can put it on your TV. Right. And for that, the controllers slide off the side. Mm-hmm. And you can use them wirelessly from each other and from the, from the console. Right. So each hand can be moving on its own. Yeah. And you can have, if you, and like if you put them sideways, you can have, a, have two controllers for, the, for two people, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, or there, it comes with a, like a, a thing that makes it feel more like a normal controller, but... <sighs> the buttons are still wrong. The buttons are so wrong. And the, the thing is not very comfortable. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what to call this thing. It's, it's like a controller adapter or something. It, it makes the Joy-Cons look a bit more like a controller yeah. than just two independent things with buttons on them. And it's not comfortable to use, 
and it doesn't put your hands in that active position, I guess. Right. So anyway, I, I, I do have a lot of feelings about the GameCube controller specifically because I just like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. And like, there's a few things I would change. Like, I don't, the, the buttons are squishy and not like mechanical. Right. Which I would like to change. But like, I get it, you're saving costs. And like, none of the controllers feel, feel like a mechanical keyboard, say. Yeah. So, what, what point was I making? Um, what were we talking about before? Um, inputs. I was talking about how nice rotary encoders are. Or, no, I wasn't. I was thinking about how nice rotary encoders are. The thing that comes to mind what is like the it, it, like typing on an iPad, mm-hmm. like on the screen on a piece of glass. Like some people can do it, and some people can do it really quickly. But the fastest glass typers are not even close to the fastest like mechanical keyboard typers. Right, and that is because it, it's so much harder to be accurate because you can't feel the buttons. And that's what we're getting with like that's the only mobile gaming besides the Switch, which I do not count. Okay. Because it's just, it's just, I, I don't count the Switch because it is huge mm-hmm. compared to a phone or the play date. It's mobile in that it's very easy to carry from place to place, but it's not mobile in that you can't, you can't like sit somewhere. You can sit on the bus. You can sit on the bus, but it's like, it, it feels really awkward because yeah. it, it is a fairly large device. Yeah. It's mobile the way that really old laptops were mobile. Yeah. You could lug them from place to place, but then you had like 18 flaps you had to fold out to get your keyboard all the way there. <laughs> so gaming, gaming again, quote unquote, on a phone is like typing on an iPad. Why is gaming, quote unquote, on a phone? Because it's like there are real games like Stardew mm-hmm. or like, um, what was the other one? Like there's some like... S- super cgi phone game that you can get i don't remember what it is it's like something about swords or blades or something and like it's like a unity uh, unreal engine kind of thing and it's it's cool and it's a really it's a deep game and the um the controls are cool but you have to be like really paying attention to where your where your fingers are Mm -hmm. because the controls are buttons or swiping or whatever and I have the same problem on Stardew. I, I try to use the the like software buttons, mm-hmm. and you know you miss, and then you have to, and then your character walks over to that place, and that's not oh what god. I want. Oh god, that's so bad! And then you like plant something, and you're like, oh no, I didn't want to plant the thing. <sighs> Stop <sighs> watering the chickens. <laughs> Stop. So like, I can see like a mobile gaming experience with actual buttons being really really nice, or or like the rotary rotary dial. Okay, the crank. I can see that being really, really nice for someone who is wanting a mobile gaming experience. Mm-hmm. Do you think the trend of deappification is a good thing, and do you think it will continue? What do you mean by deappification? Taking things that we just subsumed everything. We were like, oh, this is a cool thing. Let's do sticky notes on our phones now. Um, so there was like a Post-it note app for a while that Post-it made, and all sorts of things like that got sucked into the phone and now i i definitely think that teenage engineering is a company that takes the things that got sucked into the phone and brings them back out with um like the op1 or their little pocket synthesizers or these that they take them out and they say here if you want a thing that does this well 
get an actual device to do it. Right. So the degeneralization, the spe- the specialization of d- hardware. Right. Yeah, I do think it will continue. I will. I, I think we. I think like something pretty close to what happened was like we were able to generalize computing mm-hmm. with like you know personal computers and iPads and phones and stuff, and we like swung the pendulum too far. Like there was there is a balance. I think right. like there are certainly some things that are great on the phone and do not need a specialized piece of hardware. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out a little bit, Zach, on the next the next part, which is probably what's going to happen is the the we're gonna swing too far back, right? Like for example, the any board. I think that's important <laughs> because like your use case for it is good. I don't d- disagree with that, but it is extremely specialized. Absolutely, because we always have our phones on us at all times. The I was just thinking. Um, can't remember what it was now i i was just telling someone like oh i had such a cool idea for a little thing i could do with the raspberry pi but then i just remembered that my phone can do that Mm -hmm. but i feel like if i had if i had something like an uber button like an amazon dash button that i could call an uber with and the any board i could go and i guess something to text people with but but zach the like how many dash buttons are you carrying around then (laughs) Like yeah. You need an Uber button, you need a Lyft button, because they're not going to work on the same device. Right, absolutely not. I'll, if, you, if you just, like, imagine... Do you have a count of how many apps are on your phone? Just curious. I can give you a rough estimate. 18 times 5 is going to be somewhere around 100. Yeah, so if each app on your phone... Like, we'll even say, like, half of the apps on your phone. Mm-hmm. You could make a little button for... A dash button or right. a play or a play date kind of thing for do you want to be carrying around 50 little s- devices like you think the walled gardens are bad now mm-hmm. no yeah while we've been talking i've been trying to figure out how you would get a swarm because they would all need little radios to connect to the internet but then you wouldn't want them all to be doing individual internet connections so they would all have to connect into one hub that did your cellular connection. And what you have created <laughs> is a really sad phone. Is a really sad phone. And a really ugly phone. And a really... So, like, there's definitely too much. Mm-hmm. That is a thing that can happen. Now, I don't think Uber is going to make a button. I mean, if anything, should. Like, Uber is actually a pretty good candidate for this because you just click a button and a car comes to you. Right. That's, that, but, that's why I said it is because I've heard podcasts where people say like, oh, you know, I would love to go out with, uh, without my phone, but I need to be able to call Uber at the end of the night. Right. I, I just don't think that's, it's certainly not scalable. And like, you can, like. Yeah, but I think. You, you know, okay, here, here. Okay. Remember, okay, so like, a, uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be the like third to most recent atp (laughs) they were talking about go bags and like doomsday prep bags right and like what what do you keep in your backpack in general well let me ask you what do you keep in your backpack right now um folders pens and pencils both pairs of glasses cables of all sorts um earplugs do you want me to just keep going this is these are a lot of things is my point right 
right? And you don't use them all every time you go out. Correct. So, but you could like plan out your day and say, well, I'm probably not going to need the earbuds. Hmm. Just like you can say, well, I'm probably not going to use the Uber button. But then you'll so be... I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it at home. I'm going to leave it in my drawer full of specialized devices. Yeah. But then, like, so why don't you keep your ear- earplugs in a drawer somewhere and use it when you go to concerts? Because they're relatively small and easy to carry. Yeah, just like your Uber button. Yeah. But imagine. So, in addition to all these things that you carry around, both pairs of glasses, uh-huh. uh, everything, you also had a, a play date and an Uber button and a lift button and uh, this because, like, something you're not, you can't plan out your day this that well, and you can't plan. Mm-hmm. And even if your plan does go well, which it doesn't always, you might want to change it. So it's better to just to have it. So this vision of like going out with only your Uber button is not really realistic. It's better to just have a generalized device for some things. There is a balance. Right. I think an Uber button is actually a pretty good idea, but I don't want an Uber button and an, a button for the rest of my apps. Mm-hmm. This is me getting mad at a hypothetical. I know. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> Do you think there's ever going to be a water tracker button? You're going to ever work with Teenage Engineering to make a limited run of 100 water tracker cranks? <laughs> you slowly crank up how much water is. Well, the, it actually reminds me of a, um, a device I saw an advertisement for at some point. It was like a water bottle that tracks how much water you drank via your phone and all this. And like the other thing that I'm remembering... Mm-hmm. is my first thought go- being, oh, okay, yeah, that's an interesting idea. I can see someone wanting to use that. But then I thought, a water bottle that connects to the internet? <laughs> because They're going to put viruses what? in my water and bring back rubella. They don't, I'm not worried about like health issues, but like, are they going to be selling my data? Are, is this are all these little devices are all these little buttons my you know i don't know what let's see what apps are on my phone if i had a little device for email like this is a bad example actually yeah i I don't think i was i've been slowly developing my my button swarm um idea of the future i'm gonna write a short story i'm gonna contact cory doctorow about publishing it but like the internet of things is already a thing we have zach and it's awful the security is bad because no one wants to pay f- to make it secure. Mm-hmm. The like actual usability, if it is secure, is terrible because, again, it's just to make a quick buck on people who... <laughs> it seems like very little effort is going into things like this. Right. Yeah, I suppose. So things like my bank account app or my email or even like just browsing through my to-do list... I wouldn't want to have a button for or a little screen for. So, Zach, let's talk about something, because you just said that you wouldn't want your bank account on a little device. Right. Why not? Because I... In the button future... TM. There are still phones. Right. Well, but let's, let's imagine a future in which the pendulum swung so far to okay. the other... The, that, like... Phone-free button future. Mm, I mean, not phone-free, but 
phone just being kind of another button. It is as like it is as important as any other button. It's not 30 buttons worth of importance. It is one button worth of importance. That just calls? I'm confused. It doesn't do one thing. It does many things. In fact, all the it is it can do anything that your buttons can do. But our thinking about it is such like like your laptop maybe, where it's like, oh I gotta pull up my phone to do this. This is a real task now. Okay. In the button future, phone usage is discouraged when possible. And so the question is, in the button future, do you have a bank? Do I have a bank button? Well, I never actually hit any of the buttons for my bank. I always just look at balance from there, and I suppose deposit checks. Fine. So do you have like a little screen that tells you your... Okay, so this, this bank button, mm-hmm. because it's tailored to you or whatever, this is a perfect scenario. Okay. Ideal bank button never crashes. Ideal bank button has an LCD that says your bank balance and a camera on the back for depositing checks. I don't know if it needs that. I think depositing checks is, oh, I gotta, I gotta pull out my laptop now. I deposit, like, two checks a month, maybe. Okay, okay. So you have a little LCD screen mm-hmm. that says your bank balance. Right. Do you want that? Like, right now? Not in, your per- not in the button future, but right now, would you want that? No. Why not? Because my phone says it. <laughs> so why do you want an Uber button? Or why would you if you were a less Uber-hating person? Yeah, because I... I feel like I can imagine situations where I would feel confident with just an Uber button. Okay. Because I think the Uber button could, there could be situations where it's Uber button and nothing else, or Uber button and a Kindle, or whatever the things are. Okay. Why is that not the case for your bank? I personally have never been in a situation where I needed to know my bank account balance and didn't need a lot of other things. Also, okay. usually if I'm looking at my bank account balance, I'm at home. You're saying the wrong thing, Zach. What's the right I'm trying thing? To make an argue. Okay, what's the right thing? We can edit it back. No, it's okay. I, <laughs> you, you're bringing up good points that are not my point. Okay, so what's your point? What question can I ask? What, so, do you, so do you want an LCD button no, I don't. Wow. <laughs> I could never have imagined. <laughs> because, like, I think I complained a few, like, oh gosh, it must have been a, more than a year ago that, like, I, lo- I tried to log out of the UW Credit Union app on my phone and it wouldn't let me. Right. And then I changed the password and it still so- I was still signed in on my phone. Yes, I remember that. I had forgotten what horror it was. I'm not with that bank anymore. Good. So then just a part of deciding what bank you go to, along with looking at, oh, they've got good rates, is do they have a good button? Right. Or, alternatively, there's a Mint button, and you trust the button to contact the Mint server securely, and then you trust Mint to contact your banks securely, which is something I'm already doing. It's just the Mint button is my phone. The difference is, Zach, Mint is making the button, or is hiring someone else to make the button. Mm-hmm. And that entity is not going to be teenage engineering. Right. It's not going to be this, like, I don't know what to call it, like, boutique engineering company. <laughs> you know, like, it, 
this is going to be like the play date is probably going to be a really, really good device, like from a hardware standpoint. Right. Like your phone. It's made by Google or designed by Google, manufactured by some, you know, Foxconn or whatever. Yeah. It's a good piece of engineering. Are you complaining now that not all engineering is good? <sighs> That's <laughs> not really the point. This is an important thing. Okay. That is probably not going to be taken seriously by whatever company is making it because they're trying to cut costs. They're trying to... I would feel... I would be surprised, Zach, if the Uber button had a satisfying click to it. Oh, no. Uh, oh. You were imagining satisfying click buttons. But I actually never tried the dash, so I can't say for sure, but I can imagine that there was a satisfying click to the button. <laughs> maybe. And maybe a... A nice, like, maybe Uber will, but maybe Lyft won't. So you're going to go for Uber over Lyft, but Uber doesn't have the, like, security practices or whatever. Yeah. Or or Uber is just a generally bad company that puts a little GPS thing in your thing that's always on instead of on when you need it to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I know this is a, a thing on iPhones, and I'm sure it's a thing on Androids as well. Mm-hmm. Like, when you open up an app for the first time and it has to ask you, like, all the, for all these permissions. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a lot of them, you're like, why do you need that? There's no reason for you to send me notifications. There's no reason for you to be able to make phone calls. You're a chess app. Okay. So that, except... You need a button permissions model? Yeah, there's no permissions because it's just a hardware device that the comp- the bad, the, the, the like, I don't know. It's not like a bad thing necessarily, but like it certainly can be abused. And I think it would be by a lot of companies because they're just there to, you know, make a profit because that's what they do. What if we go back to ideal button swarm? Okay. Where we have a a cellular thing that just connects up to AT&T's network and has GPS chip in it and has a Wi-Fi chip in it and a bunch Mm -hmm. of low power or a singular low-power chip to connect to all of the swarm of buttons. And that connection works every time, and and we're going to hand-wave away all of those details of wireless networking being what it is. Of course. Um, and the GPS chip has a, a hardware switch. And because it's, it's interoperable, you can buy a GPS chip with a hardware switch. Right, but U- Uber still has a lot of control over the hardware of their button. Right. It's not an API. It's a, it's a hardware button. Mm-hmm. They can put their own GPS in it. They can put their own microphone in it. They don't need a hardware switch. Right. But it's, it's a lot easier to know if the, the thing you're looking at is a GPS than to know if Uber is using the GPS functionality on your phone even when you don't have it open. Hmm. Okay. And so the... The permissions are a lot more clear because either it's maneuvering them through, but like maybe the Pokemon Go button just wants a low power, less accurate GPS chip all the time. And I think that's a, a trade-off I would be willing to make is say, yes, I will get this. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get that. And I, I think Pokemon, the Pokemon Go button is a good use case for a regular like but do you trust Nintendo to have them be satisfying buttons? Well, no, based on the Joy-Cons. <laughs> but that's not, the, that's not the point. Yeah. Like, I'm not a hardware expert, right? I don't know. I, cu- I couldn't s- 
tell you the difference between a GPS chip, a Wi-Fi chip, and a Bluetooth chip. Right. So I would have to trust, like, iFixit, I guess. Yeah. That's also who I was thinking. And they can't make a teardown for every single button because there are a lot of buttons. So there has to be some sort of check and balance, some sort of regulation. Okay. And we all know how well that works. So there is no ideal button future. Uh, that's what I'm trying to argue. I don't think there I, I don't think there can be an ideal button future because of the way that I know that I'm pretty sure this would go down. Okay. If we like if there was a way to regulate buttons, I think the future the the, the ideal button future would have to be a lot less capitalist. Okay. Under capitalism, there is no ethical... (laughs) (laughs) Under capitalism, there is no ethical button. Tagline. Cold open. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. We have a half hour left. (laughs) I say we just stay on buttons. I think we skip the rest of it. We just continue going through our ideal button future. Zach, do you think I'm wrong? You've raised a lot of very good points. I think there is a place in the future for buttons, though. I agree. I think there is absolutely a middle point between entirely generalized, like we pretty much have now, and only buttons. And I can make a very good case for the Uber button. I think so, too. Especially because iFixit can tear it down and say, this this GPS is on all the time it does not need to be. Mm -hmm. That's really important to me. Yeah. But you know what? It's not really important to everyone else. You know how I know that? The Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. Where, why does your Hue light bulb have to have a GPS in it? Does it? The, it doesn't. But, oh, okay. like... <laughs> or, like, why does this, like, Internet-connected light switch not have a password on it? Yeah. Why is... The, also, why, if it does have a password, why is it hard-coded? Listen, I challenge the listeners. Listen to two episodes of Security Now. Be scared. Mm-hmm. I haven't listened to Security Now in a long time. I don't know if like they're still on IoT, but like when I was listening to Security Now, every week they had at least two IoT-related hacks. Okay, so now, listeners, you've got homework. Um, go to the homework part of our website to see exactly which two IoT hacks Certus wants you to look at. What the hell are you talking about, Zach? Now our listeners have homework. You're going to give them homework of exactly which two episodes to listen to. This is actually something I've been thinking about. I think I'm, I might be too cynical sometimes. Th- this train of thought got started when Zach and I were visiting the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. Yeah. And we were going through the industrial design section of the gallery and we were just pointing out every little thing that could be like wrong or inefficient with these designs when like a lot of them were just made to be pretty. Right. Now does that make me too cynical? I don't know. But there was certainly a point in that little trip where I was like, "Oh no, I've only said mean things about these things, like literally <laughs> everything in here. I've not said a single good thing yet." But I think that comes from like not treating industrial design the same way as I treat any other form of art. Right. If you're going to be thinking about industrial design, you want to think about the usability just as much as the aesthetics, if not more. Right. But like when I, when I first saw the play date, I, I think I said already that like my first thought was, 
this is going to kill my wrists. Right. Which might be a reasonable thing to think, but also I'd never, I, maybe it was like the third or fourth spot was like, this is cool. This is a cool little device. Hmm. Okay. So your concern on your cynicism is, is not just that you have cynical thoughts, but that they seem to be predominant. Yes. Yes. I don't think that I look at the, look at the silver lining enough. Hmm. Or even like, I look for the bad things, which is not what I want to do. I feel like, did we have, mm, I feel like we had follow out last time. Follow down. We did. I don't remember what, do you remember what it was. What, yeah, I don't remember what it was either. Follow down for next time. Figure out what the follow down, <laughs> <laughs> what we were supposed to follow up on this time oh, was. God. A lot of people I've heard, like I said, say like, oh, you know, it would be so cool to go out and hang out with my friends, but I, you know, I got to get the Uber home, so I can't, I need to have my phone. I'd be dead without it. Um, and so the Uber button would fix that. But chances are they probably also do other things with their phone while they are out that are good, positive things that the Uber button would not be able to replace. For example, taking pictures. As they say, the best camera is the camera that you have. Right. Uh, I take a non-zero amount of pictures. It's not a lot. It's really not a lot compared to like my peers. But more... And I'm not a photographer. I don't pretend to be. I don't take very good pictures, but I, there are some memories that I want to keep. Mm-hmm. And as such, occasionally, I'll notice that my photo library is too large. Ah. And I judge that by whether or not I can look at it and say, these are all things I want to look at. Like, on my phone. These are things I either want to reference or smile at when I look at. Okay. These are memories. That sounds like a, a much smaller number than the number of photos everyone else I know keeps. Well, yeah, and that's why we're talking about it. Because I know that's not what normal people do, but normal people don't use their... That's not what they use their photos for. Mm-hmm. Normal people think that an Uber button is going to solve all their problems. <laughs> so, I am curious about your, and I would like to describe my photo management system. I can start with mine then, because it's going to be pretty short. All right. Um, this here Pixel device that I purchased from Google Incorporated, it gets me, I don't know, it got me like a year of free pictures on Google Photos. And then after that, it's still free, but they make them smaller or something. I don't care that much. So Google just holds all of them for me. What about you? <laughs> So you take a picture and it just goes into the void? Yeah, the cloud. The clued. And how often do you look at them? Um, see, a lot of services have recognized now that once the photos go into the clued, you forget about them. So a lot of them will say, hey, remember this? Remember that time when you did a thing on your birthday three years ago? And you will say yes. And then you'll click on the button and it'll be like, wow, look at this. It was your birthday three years ago. Here's what you did. Is that the only situation in which you look at your photos? That's probably 80% of it. Okay. As far as any photos more than like three weeks old, sometimes I will just open up photos and scroll through the last couple just because I want to send some somewhere or something. Okay. But I don't like sit down and do a slideshow of all my photos that I keep once a year or something. Hmm. 
Okay. So I do something similar, actually. It, for the uh, my, let's see how to how to describe this. I think I've said on the podcast before that I am somewhat of a, a data hoarder. Mm-hmm. My my physical life, I don't like to keep things because they clutter my space. But it, but digital things mm-hmm. are easy to keep. Mm-hmm. They just go to the clued. They just go to the clued or on a hard drive somewhere. So. Like once a year, I do a backup of Google Photos okay. on a phys- on a physical medium, just in case like Google decides to kill photos. <laughs> you know, yeah, something I can imagine happening. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, usually, they give you a warning. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually, and I. But otherwise, uh, other than that, every single photo I've taken on a digital phone not a digital phone on a internet connected phone right is in google photos now the system beyond that is a bit more complicated because i'm on an iphone right so i have my local storage and also icloud storage Mm -hmm. for photos so locally i have what I kind of what I described before pictures that I want to see like ballpark how many is that like 500 maybe okay if I picked any random picture in there I would be happy to see it it's a memory it's a good memory all right yeah I think of it like kind of like an Instagram Mm -hmm. or and maybe and like Instagram except like it was all the photos I took of that event and not just the best one right okay and that system is very loose it's just occasionally i'll scroll scroll through my pictures and say i don't want these anymore Mm -hmm. and it and i think the only thing that is different about icloud is that like sometimes things don't get synced and more (laughs) things end up in icloud than i meant Uh to whoops um (laughs) so do you ever go back and look through the ones in the google cloud I yes, but only when I'm trying to find something. Right. And I made sure never to delete anything from Google Photos. Mhm. Because like some memories don't make me happy, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't be remembered. Right. But it takes a lot longer to load them, so that's why they're not on the phone. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, just for example, the most recent I actually took some videos were some we went to uh, the Humane Society to pet some dogs. Mm-hmm. And I have some 4K videos of like a minute each of some dogs. All right. Some re- really good dogs mm-hmm. in here. Some really good dogs in here. Good dogs. So these are, mem- this is a good memory that is recent enough to be like, mm, I remember the feeling of that dog. I remember how good it felt to like give a treat to that dog. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm doing with that right now. I might super make a super cut of the dogs later. Ooh. But uh, for now, they're just living on my phone. Google works so hard to make sure you never think about the size of anything on your phone. Yeah, and I get the prompt in Google Photos like, hey, we have these backed up for you. You can delete them off your phone now. Mm-hmm. We can do it for you. We can delete all 500 of these images for you right now if you push this button. Right. Which is honestly a very scary button. Not 
not because it looks scary, but because its function is much scary, scarier than the user interface would. The nice little blue oh. text that says, real yeah. quick, just so you know, we can delete everything. And when I go into Google Photos, it feels cluttered and annoying and like not what I want. But this like occasional pruning of my photos library mm-hmm. on my phone is pretty nice. Yeah. Makes a nice little thing. And like it can be something where like if I'm showing my my, my parents a photo of like uh, or a video of the dogs, like they're not going to swipe to the left and see some weird ass meme that I sent to my friends. Good idea. Because that gets like it gets put up in Google Photos uh-huh. because like it might be a good meme and yeah. I might want to find it later, but I don't need it in all of its definition on my phone. I have a very small selection of very important memes that are saved to my phone. Oh, I'm sure I do too. But like again, that's another thing. Like if I tap on it, it's gonna make me happy because this is a good important meme. Mm-hmm. For me, it's because it's a meme and an apology. I don't get the joke. It's not a joke. It's just genuinely a meme and an apology at the same time. All right. And so it's important to have on hand so I can apologize with a meme. Oh, I see. (laughs) And now, a PSA from the Worrying Bugs. Warning. Security warning. Remote file may be processed at the remote server depending on the file extension and the fact if the remote server runs PHP or not. But it still has to produce a valid PHP script because it will be processed at the local server. If the file from the remote server should be processed there and outputted only, read file is much better function to use. Otherwise, special care should be taken to secure the remote script to produce a valid and desired code. This has been a PSA from the Worrying Bugs. Read verbatim from php.net. <laughs> That's a new one. Well, it's because there were like a lot of things that I <laughs> I would not have continued reading if I wasn't in my pleasant reading voice. Yeah, I was thinking you were going to take like a few sentences from that, but that works. I um I've been working a lot with PHP recently for a secret project. I'm so sorry. And there's a lot of warnings like that, yeah. where I just need to look up some documentation for includes, mm-hmm. or include, the include function, and, but whatever. PHP you know. was never supposed to be a language. It works. That's different from it being a language. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, uh, as, as we've determined, the summer of trials. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, um, so th- <laughs> so this is the summer of trials, dun, 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 dun. Um, wherein we do a trial for some two-week increment of time, meaning that it could be two weeks, it could be four weeks, it could be six weeks, and a trial is just a thing that we want to try in those two weeks. It could be you do it every day, it could be you do it once. You know, whatever. If you would like to try along with us at home, or be tried, if you would like to be tried along with us at home, <laughs> um, I'm not going to stop you. You can tell me how it went uh, on, on all of the socials. If you would like to recommend a trial for us, uh, that's trials at superawesomecorp.com. Yep. Okay. 
So, Certus, what is this bi-weekly trial? This trial was inspired by the incentives discussion. Okay. In which I discussed not being able to sleep and having no way to... Not being... Not wanting to sleep and having no way to motivate myself to do so. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, I wasn't getting enough sleep. Right. And the solution could have been to take more naps. Mm-hmm. But we all... We all know the feeling of, like, waking up from a three-hour nap and feeling more tired than when you went to sleep. Absolutely. I think a a big part of it is the humidity. So, a recommendation from pretty much every health blog ever. (laughs) If you sleep for only 20 minutes, you will not, you will feel rested. You will not have slept, per se, but you will will have rested. Mm -hmm. So, if you can actually fall asleep with a 20-minute power nap, that might happen. See, and I tried that. But I can never fall asleep in 20 minutes. I'm a, like, you lay down and maybe half hour, 45 minutes later, you're actually asleep kind of ah, person. Okay. So, my, so the challenge is, the trial, sorry. Right. Sorry, DBF. So the trial is actually fall asleep with a 20-minute power nap. And over, so over the next two weeks, um, I'm going to try every day. Zach, I don't, you don't have to do that. But like when you're, you know, not feeling super alert maybe mm-hmm. try taking a 20 minute power nap okay i'm gonna be spending more time in a room where my boss can see me than you are i think probably and i don't i don't think you should do it at work <laughs> that's but usually when i start work. feeling exhausted <laughs> maybe after work before so like if you're working a nine to five at five you just take a 20 minute power nap and you can get stuff done for the rest of the night Ooh. You'll feel energized and not exhausted. So, good luck, Zach. Thank you. Good luck to you as well, Sirtis. And listeners, if you um, have tried power napping, you can find me on Twitter to let me know how that goes. I'm at... (laughs) 